0: Beyond the Wrench with Jay Ganinen from Wrenchway.
1: Welcome back to Beyond the Wrench. My name is Jay Ganinen, and I am your host. In this week's episode, we were joined by Garrick Weaver, who is the HR manager at Penn Power. And let me tell you what, this was a masterclass on human resources and how it relates to onboarding technicians, how you treat technicians, and how you communicate with technicians. It was just incredible. A really, really good podcast. And over the course of the podcast, we talk about a number of different things, uh, all kind of around technicians, right? The development of new technicians, how jumping for a buck isn't really the best move for your career path when you're talking in regards to a a technician's shoes and really looking at ways that you can be an advocate for your own learning and your own education, looking for opportunities to help increase your knowledge base on your own and not being reliant on a company to provide it for you. And and also having a conversation with a supervisor about performance. Maybe you want that raise. Maybe you want that promotion being able to talk to them in a way that is productive for both sides can be hugely beneficial so this podcast is an excellent podcast for both technicians and managers out there that are looking to make sure that they've got their ducks in a row when it comes to working with technicians. Now, before we get started with the podcast, I did want to give a shout out to Bus Patrol, who's sponsoring this episode. Bus Patrol's mission is to transform pupil transportation by creating a system to sustain the safety of children as they travel to and from school. Our AI-enabled stop-arm camera school bus safety program makes roads safer at no cost so thank you to bus patrol for sponsoring this episode and thank you to garrick weaver who just did an incredible job on this podcast and i think you'll all enjoy it take care on today's episode i'm excited to welcome garrick weaver garrick is the hr manager at penn power and has a lot of knowledge when it comes to not only recruiting but development of teams and, and really just a lot of uh, great insights. So how are you doing today, Garrick? I'm great, thanks. How are you? I'm great, I'm great. Thanks for joining us today. Let's, let's talk about what you do right off the bat here. So first and foremost, who is Penn Power?
0: Sure. So PenPower uh, is a multi-generational business. We have two sides of the business. We have a power generation. So we provide a primary, secondary, as well as equipment on the generator side. We both sell those pieces of equipment as well as we maintain them. On the other side of the house, is where a lot of people may know us, we do what we would, what we'd call off our on highway work for most known for the work that we do is Detroit diesel Allison transmission, as well as carrier refrigeration and we, we have 13 service centers around Pennsylvania, New York, and New Jersey where customers bring those vehicles into us so it could be basically class four through class eight. Vehicles, and we can pretty much fix everything within those vehicles. But about two years ago, we decided that we need to kind of grow the business in some other areas, and so we've invested pretty heavily in what we call our mobile fleet services division. To the point that we've even uh, changed the name of our on-highway division uh, to fleet services. So. Uh, you'll start to see Penn Fleet services out the marketplace. Right now, when a customer has a problem, they bring the vehicle to us. With Penn Fleet Services, we have the ability to go to where they are. So, and this a lot of times is preventative maintenance and, and other work that needs to be done, warranty work, things that don't need to have it come into a shop. You don't have to spend the money to bring in a trailer. We can do the work right on site for the clients. Uh, so we will go on, we'll work on there. Y'all will do it at the times that are convenient for them. So if they run their trucks at night, we'll work on it during the day. They run their trucks during the day, we'll work on it at night. The other big driver for that is, is that that business, when they uncover something that can't be fixed there, then we can bring the business in. So not only is it going to be its own operation, but it's also going to drive business, pun intended, drive business into our shops as well. Uh, so we are adding on about 60 technicians into that world. And like every company, we have plenty of openings for technicians around the around our territory.
1: Yeah, just some incredible expansion. I mean, it it's really an established company with high growth. I think uh, that's a that's a really appealing thing for not only technicians but any employee that's out there to to kind of have that opportunity and I applaud you guys for doing that. And so in your role as HR manager, you're you're dealing with the HR piece of this, but how did you get to fall in love with human resources, or what was it that that drove you to that side of the business?
0: Well, it's it's funny. I didn't play with a recruiter action figure when I was a kid, but <laughs> thank you for laughing. But I've since the age of 13, and really until about two years ago, I had two jobs at all times. And at the at the age of 16, I started working. Temporarily for an auto parts store that had a, a three bay shop in, it. and they were moving that location from one location to the other. And I started uh, working there, just painting shelves, getting getting ready for the move, boxing up stuff. And the owner, uh, had to run out to the post office. And so a customer, and this is probably maybe three weeks into the job, and a customer came in, and the owner came back about you know thirty minutes later. He's like, "What's that guy sitting in the waiting room? What does he need?" And I said, oh, he's getting four tires and, you know, mounted and balanced. And he said, well, who sold them to him? I said, but that's why there's, he hasn't been charged yet because I didn't have to run the cash register. So it's just, it's the things that I picked up on. So I was a, I worked there. And then eventually when I was about 18, I was running the parts and service counter. So I was looking up parts, the old days, you know, estimating time using the Chilton manual, um, looking up parts in books, cross-referencing things like that and learned a lot about, I would say, you know, uh, passenger vehicles and things like that. And it was a, a great experience. And then I just, again, had multiple jobs throughout. And then I got into a world of, of recruiting while looking for a job after, after uh, graduation from graduate school and got into an organization, worked in the staffing industry for a number of years, and then moved over to an aviation company during September oh. August, hiring pilots, mechanics. We did aircraft refurbishment, aircraft completion, aircraft maintenance and repair. And then we also did painting of helicopters. So fortunately, I was part of the drug testing program. So I was therefore DOT certified. So on September 11th, I was very fortunate to be a part of the team that was helping to put some of those helicopters back, corporate helicopters from major organizations and were in for repair. We got those up and running so they could get up there and, and support New York City. And then I spent probably three to four months working in the paint shop until I could find somebody at night to take over my spot. And I spent, you know, since then my world of, of HR, although it's been heavy into recruiting, it's been a, in general HR, it's, it's been mostly in manufacturing environments or, or blue collar settings, if you will. And, you know, so when this opportunity came along, frankly, I wasn't looking, but the, the fact that the organization was growing, it's got about 478, and it was a challenge. Is certainly what, what made me excited about the opportunity. So that's, that's the last 23 years in a nutshell.
1: That's, uh, yeah, and you summarized it really well. I'm curious uh, to your experience with September 11th. I think that's obviously a day that everybody remembers where they were and, and all of the events that happened over the course of the day. Was that something, I mean... I'm guessing in the company that you were in at that point, it's just kind of a shift to do whatever you can to to help out with with New York City, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's that's what it was. It was it was all hands on deck, and you know whether it was just running and getting parts, handing them the the, the tools that were necessary, and then basically the customers' aircrafts that were down for heavy maintenance, they understood. You know, we didn't even have to call those customers; um, they just understood that for september 11th and, and a number of days after that we were we were there to get those other aircraft and one of our one of our customers corporate customers um that they sent their corporate helicopter to Titoboro to support because that's where it was out of they they threw a lunch for us i say you know they spared no expense on that lunch and their aircraft did not get used very much but the fact that they that they picked up the phone they called us and said we need you to help out i had been a firefighter in my past so you know again it was it was a, I was ready to drive up there myself, but, but yeah, it's working for an organization like that is, is another thing. You know, culture is really, really important to me. And the fact that the owner of, of our company at the time is privately held, he, he said, any overtime, you get that done and that's not being billed um, to the customer. We, we're going to get this stuff out. And, you know, he, all of our EMS helicopters were going up towards there to support. And it's just, it's great to work for organizations like that that really care. And it throughout my own career, You know, I've, I've made a couple of missteps and we all do in terms of going to an environment, but I really try to look for a place where an organization is, you can see that people are, or that you can see that people like working there and it's work. Let's be honest. It's work. It's not supposed to be something that you always enjoy, but you can get a vibe when you go on a floor and I'm sure mechanics get this, they go on a floor, they can tell the mechanics are happy. If the mechanics are satisfied with what they're doing. And, and I would also challenge you know people that if they don't if they don't do this now, they need to do it, and that is they need to say, "Can I talk to some of your technicians, mm. or, can I talk to some of your service manager, the service managers, or the people that schedule my day? Like I want to talk to those people because if you talk to just the manager, or and you talk to, no offense to my my team, but if you talk to just the recruiter, their job is to get you in the door. You want to make sure it's the right fit. But I would also say that in today's environment, if you're not, if you did a good job on the interview and you aren't getting an offer in the, you know, after the follow-up steps within a couple of days, that's probably telling you something about the organization. It may not be a place that you want to be in. So again, go back to the culture. And I left that that aviation because I wanted more of a a general HR career. And I still keep in contact with my manager uh, and a number of people there, but they, a lot of them are still my role models. And it's just neat to be able to say, I went in there with no knowledge of the aviation industry. And I asked a ton of questions, and I came out of that with, now I can tell you uh, the difference between a Sikorsky S76A and a B and a C and a D model. And I haven't been doing it since 2004. Wow. Yeah.
1: It's incredible what you learn over the course of your career. And and one of those things, I think, well, one, all of those experiences lead you to today, right? And the culture that you're creating at PenPower Power and, and really what you're building. and. A big piece of that are technicians and and being able to get not only qualified technicians, people that can do the work, but people that fit your shops and fit yep. what you're doing. Give me an idea of what you're looking for when when you're going out and, and interviewing a tech or just really trying to understand if they're going to fit into your culture. What is your process like?
0: Well, I think that the reality is obviously I'm going to say technical skills. Yes. Okay. It's very hard to assess those technical skills. You can ask people questions, you can do different things. But what we what we really look for is candidates who are engaged. And what I mean by that is, is that, you know, when you're on the phone with us for that initial conversation, be on the phone with us. Uh, I understand, you know, in this world, it used to be you had to do face-to-face interviews all the time. Your first one or two interviews might be over the phone or they might be over video. If they're on video, stay on video. Yeah. Right? Be be there, and if you if you have to be there in your in your kid's uh, bedroom, and so you got superheroes behind you, that's okay. If if you've got a dog that may you know run behind or a cat that runs behind, admit that, and and we'll work around that. But if if you have the opportunity to be on a Teams call or a Zoom call, you want to be there. Okay. Second thing is do some research on the company. It takes. Two minutes to look at their website, understand a little bit about what they're doing. I had a a conversation with a supply chain candidate for the other day. And I was talking to him about his background, totally not related to our industry. But he said, Hey, you know, how are you able to get Allison transmission if Allison's the only one that really provides those parts? Is it everybody asking for that? Well, that was a quick thing for him to understand that we did Allison. So that made me feel, you know, made me feel like, hey, he took the time. Yeah. Number two is have a couple questions. And it's okay to ask the same question to multiple people because you will get different answers. But it's very important to come in with some questions because that shows us that you've done some research and it could be generic questions. Like, hey, how are you going to train me? How are you going to how can I add value to the organization? What's your tool allowance? You know, what's your what's your safety program? Just a, a couple questions, I think is very important. The other thing is that we recognize technicians, service advisors, service managers, all those positions are in high demand today, but do something to make yourself stick out. Mm -hmm. And that is ask those questions, but then send a thank you. It's okay if it's a thank you email these days, but send a thank you that bullet points why you're a good fit. and. You may say, Hey, I'm not interested in this position. You're not going to hurt our feelings, but if you aren't interested, you still want to get the practice. And so by sending that email, and I will tell you from first from firsthand experience, when I interviewed here, remember I wasn't looking, and I sent a thank you note um, to the CEO of our of our fleet services division. And he sent me back a note within five minutes that basically told me. That he was interested in me, without saying we're going to make you an offer. He basically said, "Garrett, thank you for your time. Thank you for spending more time than you anticipated with us, and we will be in touch very soon." So it was a, qu- a quick thing. Mine was just a three bullet. I enjoyed talking about this, about this, and about this. So I am practicing what I am preaching, and I would absolutely say that to, and to anybody who's listening. I don't care if it's if you're if you're going for an administrative job. A tech job, or even something outside of our of our industry, those are really really easy things to do.
1: Yeah, that's great advice, uh, just in general, and and that is something that stands out as different, and especially as an employee or a, a, a signing up to go work for a potential employer. If you can make that that initial kind of impact, I think that that just it almost com- either confirms a person's feeling or maybe even changes the feeling that, that the hiring person has or the hiring manager That's has that. for that individual.
0: Interesting. You say that I've had managers in my past, not in this field, but I've had managers in the past who were for or against a candidate. And the, the thank you note that goes to show a little bit of my age, you know, the thank you note swayed their decision, either, you know, uh, They may have said, hey, I didn't get one from this candidate and that surprised me because he talked about follow-up and closing the deal in a sales role, or it was somebody, hey, I was on the fence. The other thing that, this is a little bit of a bold question to ask, but once you've gone through the interview, ask the question, what about my background concerns you about a fit for your position? And the, the client may say, or the you know the prospective employer may say, you don't have enough experience in this. Now be prepared to have an answer. So if we'll use this as an example, a, a technician comes in and interviews with us and we say and says, What concerns you about my background? And we say, Well, we you don't have as much Allison transmission experience as we would like. That's correct. But as you can see from my experience, I have experience with working with uh, a number of different transmissions, and I, I'm, a, I'm a very quick learner. One of my references is one of the techs I work with. And number two is, I see that you guys have an in-house training program that's factory authorized. I would assume that I would be a part of that. What, Mr. Client uh, or Mr. Prospective Employer, what would I have to do to get in that training class? So there there you just, you just completely it. flipped it. You completely flipped it. Now, again, if they say to you, I'm sorry, you don't have enough experience, period, because you're brand new, you can still say, I understand you have training. I understand I would learn, things like that. You can always spin it. But if if it's not a fit, it's not a fit. Right. But at least you ask that question. The reason why I say it's kind of bold is because you have to be prepared for the answer, even if it shows you why you're not a fit for that role. But I would say more often than not, that question is going to catch the, the interviewer off guard, and they're going to say, huh.
1: Interesting. <laughs> I I love that advice, Garrick. And I think the, the one thing that I, if, 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 as we're talking to technicians that are out there, that I think is really effective or impactful with what you said was picking holes in your own resume, right? It, before you go in having a clear understanding of maybe where your shortcomings are and then having some type of response. I loved what you said about coming back with the Well, you know, I, I see that you've got a training program and I'm, I'm hoping, you know, what would I need to do to get into that training program? I mean, talk about a, a needle mover from the technician's perspective. I mean, that that's a that's a big one.
0: Yeah. And, you know, it's it's interesting you say that because I, I think, you know, I'm kind of looking at this conversation and, and, and bear with me. I kind of look at this as kind of like, let's do some of the basics. So in, in my world, when you apply for a job, the reality is that most people these days are applying through Indeed or a site where your resume is already there. And Indeed's got some you know good basic resume things. But a couple of things I always tell people is if you're going to use the Indeed resume, that's fine. But have a different one that you can take. But I'm also, a, get somebody to help you with a resume um, that looks a little bit better than just the Indeed resume. And then I also say, make sure you have a couple of things that you have examples of what you've done. And I don't mean to say that I installed a transmission. You want to you want to talk about things that matter. And things that matter are numbers. So, I have performed on average uh 43 PMs with z- with zero comebacks. I have saved the company X amount of dollars by uh, sourcing parts of my own. And again, you may not know the full amount, and it's okay to say over $5,000 or or something like that but you want numbers. I've been I've been with the organization, you know, 2.5 years and during that time we have had no safety incidents. You know, that's that's an important that's a big one. Yeah, that's a, that's a big one. And the other thing you want to do is and this is going to sound a little basic, but you want to know what's on your resume. The number of times that I've interviewed people over my career where they have said, "Oh, I don't know, somebody else put my resume together for me." Know what's on your resume. If it's old, that's okay. If you have you, you didn't update it to include a job here or there, that's okay. But when you don't know what's on your resume, that's a concern. And then the last thing I'll, I'll kind of say with that is you want to have an elevator sp- uh, speech. So example I use is, you know, if you're if you're out in the dating world, you want to have some sort of like, you know, quick, quick intro about who you are and what what you're about.
1: That's what I was terrible at, Garrick. Yeah.
0: yeah, exactly. I, I, would, I, would, I would absolutely agree with you that, that I, I, was, I was not good in that. Yeah. Now it's bringing back memories, flashback. So with that quick, why should somebody hire you? That's something that's important is, hey, this is a little bit about my background. So, you know, an interview starts out with a lot of times they'll say, well, tell me about yourself. And a lot of times candidates are thrown off by that question because it's not one they have practiced and you don't want to sound like a script but at the same time you want to be able to have a 30 second quick overview about your background and why you're sitting there today
1: yeah and and go into it with maybe some bullet points in your head so that you can just kind of rather than having it all scripted out just you know you know your story better than anybody else so if you're able to just kind of organize those thoughts and when you when you go into that process i think that's hugely helpful yep absolutely absolutely so what is Uh, just a a random question. If you don't have an answer to it, this is fine. But what's the best question, either a tech or any potential employee that you've been, you're you're going through the hiring process with, you're interviewing them. What is one of the best questions you've ever received?
0: Wow. That's great. And I put you
1: on the spot there. So you don't need to answer that.
0: No, the problem is I, I have like 12. So I think one of the best questions is how are you going to train me on the things that I don't know? How are you going to train me? I think another one is besides the tools that I have, what equipment will you all provide? Like, can you walk me around? Can you show me the equipment, not the hand tools, but the other equipment that that I will be working with? And if you see a shop that doesn't have the greatest tools, that's going to tell you something. And I think another question around it is, you know, how will I how will I be evaluated in this position? Okay, so in there, you're asking the question around money. But you're also asking it in a different way because we all know that it's about how am I doing and what what do I need to work on? And you need to be ready to listen to that. But if your employer says, oh, well, you know, I every couple of years, you know, I, I go through stuff with people about how they're doing or I'll always give you feedback. OK, well, what kind of formal process do you set up? Because if an organization says they don't have a formal process to review you at least once a year, that that should be a concern. Now, having yeah. said that. If you go to work for a smaller mom and pop shop, don't expect some of these things to be in place because they're not, Right, they're going to have some things. So a question around that is, Hey, if I have a, if I have a concern about something, whether it be equipment, compensation, you know, anything, you know, safety, you know, customer issue, how do I address that with you? Every size company should be able to answer that, and a mom and pop shop absolutely should be able to tell you how they're going. And it's so you know, it's okay to you know to be prepared, but also keep in mind that you know your conversation at a company like Penn should be a little bit different than it's going to be at a smaller shop. And there's sure. nothing wrong with, to go with working for a smaller shop because you can be a bigger fish in a smaller pond. In a lot of cases, you may not have all the tools and the equipment, but you want to. You also, one thing tied back to the questions is, you want to know what drives you. So if you're okay, you're living at home, you're okay, you're paying off some debt, you're doing all kinds of stuff, your pay requirement may be very different than somebody who has got a mortgage, they've got a family and things like that. Yes, you should know your worth, but you also should be realistic with what you are asking for. So, if you are an individual, when you go in for this conversation, you ask questions. You know, what's the shift? What are the overtime requirements? What are the um, on-call responsibilities? Things like that. But you have to be prepared for what that answer is. So, if an organization says they'll pay you thirty dollars an hour, but then there's an expectation for you to be on call every weekend, that's not that's not a good fit. Right. Uh, and that's why it's really important is. You know how you have to know what's important to you. And that is you need an idea of what the minimum you need to make to pay your bills, have a, have a social life, and do what you need to do. Because if an organization asks you what your range is, and that's a great question that a company will ask. These days, they can't ask you necessarily what your salary history was in a lot of places, but they will ask you what's your range. And if you say, I'd like to hear what you guys have to say. Well, that's that's a challenge. If you say, a uh, great answer that a technician gave me was, well, I've done a lot of research in the marketplace. I know that a lot of these websites like salary.com and PayScale, Glassdoor are self-reported. But I've looked at my bills. I've looked at what experience that I have. And I'd be looking somewhere between 25 and $29 an hour. With that being said, I need to understand your benefits and your, you know, your, your benefits, including medical, dental, and time off, as well as 401k. Right. That answer to that kind of question is, I think is important, but having a, you know, a couple of good questions for the, for the employer. But I think the one great question that I stole um, from somebody was looking at my resume and looking at your need what What areas of concern do you have, if any? And I used it myself, and and honestly, it got me a job. wasn't yeah. the best job for me, but it did it did get me it did get me a job. so i that is the one I, I tell people be bold and ask that question. Technicians, are you looking for a new job? Even if you're just casually looking, you need to check out reverse job posts. Reverse job posts flips the traditional job board around. Now you can fill out a short questionnaire and let shops reach out to you with job opportunities. No resume needed. The best part is all of your contact information remains anonymous until you are ready to share it. It's a great way to explore new job opportunities and it's completely free. Download the Runchway app in the App Store or on Google Play to try reverse job posts for free. Links to download are in the show notes.
1: One thing that I was gonna maybe dive a little deeper into was the questions concerning pay because i think from a technician's perspective it can be a highly awkward conversation right it it just it's not one that they're used to being and and quite frankly most people aren't used to being in that type of conversation where you're talking about you know what you're worth right and and being able to have that conversation and ask questions about it i know when i was a young technician I was terrified of asking anything about pay, right? I, was, I basically went in saying, okay, if whatever you pay me, I'm going to take because I, I just need, uh, need to get in here. But I'm wondering if there's opportunities, and maybe this is even advice for the interviewing manager or the hiring manager, but how do you make that conversation less tense, less nerve wracking, and just more accommodating in general?
0: Wow. I, I would love if everybody would ask that question. I think, first of all, you, you mentioned worth. We are never, no is ever going to pay you what you're worth. Because if you value yourself just based upon your work, that's a problem. So I know that's kind of a little spin on it, but yeah. we are, we're only paying you for the time that you're working for us. So with that being said, you need to do some research on your own, because if if you're going to if, if somebody says to me that they went to Glassdoor and got a pay range, my response to them is, that's one of the number one self reporting websites. So there's no data. There are places where you can go to get data. There's a Bureau of Labor Statistics. Okay, if you went to a if you went to a school or you went to some sort of program, ask the career advisory people. And again, if you say, well, I went there like 10 years ago, well, They still want to help you because they want you to be connected to their school. Call them and say, hey, I'm considering a job in, you know, Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania, where we have a location and we're hiring technicians if anybody needs a job. But you ask that question of those people, do some research. And then if you come in and you say, how is my pay structured? They'll, They'll look at you and say, what do you mean? Well, okay, I assume it's an hourly rate. Yes. Or if it's flat rate. okay. but let's just say hourly rate hourly rate are there any premiums what do you mean by premiums like i'm going to be on call am i going to be on a rotation am i going to be working second shift am i going to have the the company you know cell phone like those kinds of things you want to kind of understand and then you want to say help me understand the job what are some other things that you guys give technicians what do you mean well do you do you provide a tool allowance yes we do Okay. Now you can put that aside. Do you provide uniforms? Put that, and then you say, you know, do you provide safety equipment? Yes, we do. Okay, you put that aside. So, most companies, you know, especially the larger ones, are going to provide you with uniforms, and maybe it might be just a t-shirt, and you have to provide jeans. But that's that's a big deal, is because if you don't have to take care of your own clothes. That's that's a laundry bill you don't have to worry about the tool the tool allowance again some companies provide as a set number like we have a set number once a year and the other one is we insure tools so you want to make sure the shop insures the tools so that you don't have to so when you add up all of those little things tool allowance uniforms safety shoes you know you know insurance things like beeper pay and everything whatever that may be might be four or five dollars an hour. Kind of keep that in the back of your mind. Then you want to ask the question about, well, tell me about your benefits. Okay. Well, we offer medical, we offer dental, we have this. Can you tell me how much I would pay? Well, yeah, it depends on if it's family versus, okay, great. Then tell me about your 401k if you have one. Okay. We do. And here's, all right, great. Tell me about time off. Okay. Here's the time off. Okay. So now you have all that information and in a, in a perfect world, you'd have a little notebook and a pen and you'd be writing that stuff down. Always take a, a pen and a notebook with you, what do you, yes. know, what do you do? write write all that stuff down. Then say, okay, so now that I asked you this couple of questions first, and I appreciate you let me ask you some questions before I can before I answer the pay piece. This is what I'm this is what I'd be looking for. Be prepared that the organization may say, Well, that's too much for us. Okay, you know, I'm happy to talk to you about what you could offer because as I showed you. All those benefit things are important to me. So obviously if I can understand those a little bit better, I might be able to, you know, because I'm looking at the, I'm looking at the whole picture, Mr. Mr. Potential Employer, not just, but don't sell yourself short, especially if it's gonna put you into a world where you can't pay your bills. Yes. So if you need to make $23 an hour, no matter how good the benefits are, because remember, there's always gonna be a cost for benefits and things. But if you need to make $23 an hour to be able to pay your bills so that you aren't like me, and, and I, I chose to work two jobs, but you shouldn't necessarily have to work two jobs to pay the bills. So if it's 23 is your minimum number, and they say the most they can pay is 20, you're, way, you're too far off.
1: Yeah, and you're not going to be happy from the start. and that. A lot of things that you just talked about are a lot of things that we coach our wrenchway clients on as well. You know, we the, the whole page, the whole premise of the page is to be able to give a lot of transparency to a technician. Some of the advice that I've given to technicians is be able to to really read through those profiles and be able to see, you know, compare the insurance packages, compare the different benefits you you mentioned something that i think is hugely important and an underrated question that technicians just don't ask which is the insurance piece yeah. i'm bringing you know tens of thousands of dollars of tools into your building how you know who's insuring that and and make sure that you ask that question and if it's not on a profile or if it's not you know in the detail Make sure you get a detailed answer to that. I had the, I wouldn't even say fortune because it was an unfortunate situation, but I went to Northern Wisconsin a couple of years ago to a shop that had burnt to the ground and talked to their technicians. And you want to get perspective on how important insurance is. Talk to a technician after all of their tools are gone. It is heartbreaking.
0: And it's it's, it's sad to share with you that I was having a conversation with our chief financial officer. About it, and he said, "Tool insurance for a company is cheap." Yeah, and of course, you know we are—we're a large—we're a large organization, 478 people. But for him to say that, because you know CFOs are, are, are traditionally very tight uh, with money, but for him to say that, and he's like, "I don't understand why, you know, why technicians don't want to ask that, and that they don't want to ask about how that they're going to be able to invest in tools." I mean, I. We get paid every Thursday, which you know that kind of tells you the health of the organization. If we can pay weekly, but coincidentally, the Snap-on truck person always comes on Thursday. (laughs) Weird. Always comes on Thursday. (laughs) So you've got one of the technicians said to me the other day, without blinking an eye, he said, "Garrick, I have thirty thousand dollars in just my toolboxes alone. He has over sixty-five thousand dollars worth of tools. So you add those two together." A hundred thousand dollars of tools for us to ensure those tools. Now he's very happy every year that we, you know, I joke we should have two tool allowances: one for the tools you really need, and one to replace a ten millimeter because we all lose, you know, five or six of those a year. But that's it, it's it sounds like it's an insignificant thing, but you you, you don't want to just take the word for it. You want to say, "Can I understand what the policy covers?" And in a large organization, chances are they're going to have that. The smaller organization, if they say nope, sorry, we don't have that, then you want to say, well, could you could you look into that because that might be something that might be worthwhile for them because it might cost them only a couple hundred dollars a year to cover everybody's te- uh, tools.
1: Yeah, and I mean, there's a reason you have car insurance, right? It's yep. because if you get in a car accident, you're covered, and. The amount of tooling that goes into being a good technician, it, it, we should be taking care of our people. I mean, that, that to me is a, a big thing that we can take a leap as an industry with is to have every shop offering that. And maybe even being not maybe not required, but like that, that should be something you provide for your people.
0: Well, and I, and I think, too, is that if they don't, then it's, well, what could you provide? You know, they say for a variety of reasons, whatever it is. You say, well, what how much could you contribute to help me get a policy on my own? And just like renter's insurance, by the way, if you're renting a house or an apartment or whatever, you absolutely should have renter's insurance because that could cover some things in the event something were to happen. But call your insurance agent, just Google the words, you know, mechanic toolbox insurance and go to that employer and say, Hey, it's going to cost me a hundred dollars a year. Will you split that with me? Right. And what I will say is don't just take the $50 from them. Just make sure you actually buy that insurance because you, and then you know, say to them, "Hey, in the event something is lost, will you pay the fifty dollars, and then will you pay part or all of the deductible if something's lost?" And another question as you walk around a facility is, "Look at how safe it is." You know, if it, if it's in a bad part of town and they don't have an alarm on the building or they don't have a gate where they can, you know, where they store their customer vehicles, you know, that's that's a concern. At Penn, you know, a lot of our all a lot of our facilities are are in a city, but they're not right in town. You know, they're they're out they're out in an area where we can have space to put 15, 20, 30 trucks behind the building, but you want a building that looks safe and that they have some sort of and, and you can you can see that you can see an alarm sitting on the wall, you know, a, a keypad by the door. Uh, you can learn a lot walking in the shop. If you see that they, you know, there are holes in the wall, you see that there's water on the floor and there's water on the ceiling. Well, maybe it's leaking stuff happens, but you want to ask those kinds of questions. The other thing I always say tied to that is walk through their facility, like ask to walk through the parts department, Um, see how their parts are are organized, walk through their break room. Do they have a microwave? Do they have a refrigerator? Not that that's those are deal breakers, but do they have, because what, you know, a lot of our technicians, we have locker rooms at every one of our places. Our technicians want to be able to change out of their clothes or change into their clothes um, so they don't, you know, so they don't get dirty, you know, mess up their car, sitting in the car with grease all over. It,
1: right. You know? Right. Yeah. I, I think those are all uh, I mean, it, it's just an incredible conversation because I'm, I'm, as you're talking, I'm, I'm like, yes, yes, that's exactly yeah. what I'm talking about. That. That's that's perfect. So let's talk about, you know, something that came up as a question in the interview process. That I think is so important, and that's the development of a technician once they get in your in, into your shop, right? And and really putting them on a career path or a career plan that can really maximize their success over the course of their career. Any any advice up front on you know just general development of technicians?
0: Absolutely, this one's this one's easy. Ask and fact check. So ask your recruiter, ask the interviewers and then go out and talk to the techs on the floor. Hey, they say you have factory authorized training. Oh yeah, you'll never get to that. Or they say, yeah, within like your first six months, you're gonna go to an onboarding, you're gonna go to this, and you're gonna go to this. Some companies, larger companies, should have some type of training and you'll wanna see as that factory authorized. The other one that you wanna see is if it's a smaller organization, what do they do? Another big one for me, and this is technicians throw this money out the window. Organizations like ours pay for your ASE certifications. And there are eight of them. We will pay you twenty-five cents an hour for each one that you get, up to a total of two dollars. Up to a total of two dollars an hour. It is self-study because we want you to have some some skin in the game. Yeah. But you want to ask those questions about, you know, how how can I get from an entry-level technician to an experienced technician, journeyman, if you will, whether they're in a union shop or not. You want to ask those questions and then you want to fact check that with the technicians. Hey, how long have you been here? Three years. Did you go to training? Now keep in mind, not everybody may need training or some of the folks may say I'm not doing any more training than I have to. So they're not going to have the ASE certification. So, but you want to ask what type of, what type of training and how is that paid? Is that upfront? Do I, is it tuition reimbursement? Is there any clause on it? If I leave the organization within X period of time, um, do I have to pay that back?
1: Well, and I think you get them in the habit, and this is something I applaud you for, in really becoming an advocate for their own education, right? And getting better on their own and not just relying on the shop for it. Because I think there are a lot of technicians that will sit and wait for a, uh, a training to come up or for the, the, the dealership to provide that training. But what I've seen in the best of the best is that this is their craft. They take it extremely seriously. They're doing, you know, some of these after-hours classes, or you know, even they're they're seeking it out on their own. And I'm curious as to if you see the same.
0: Yeah, interesting you say that. So one of the things I I, I counsel folks, uh, and this is this isn't just technicians. This is service advisors, service managers, part, you know, whatever. You should be if you get a a rate, just like you should be putting some of that into your 401k. Um, or your savings, whatever it is, I always look at what's my pay rate coming in the door. And then after that, it's okay, a little bit cost of living here and there. But the rest of that money, I kind of look as, as um, found money. So if I get a, a $2,000 raise, I will put some of that away for education. And whether that's being buying a book, buying a tool, going to a class. And you know, technicians, one of the things too, is technicians a lot of times focus on the technical skills, and the service writers, you know, they say, "Oh, well, there's nothing really I can learn. There's soft skills training. Like how to how to deal with a difficult customer cuz you're talking to the customer. How to deal with a difficult boss. Like there's all these little things that that you can do, but I always encourage people to not expect their employer to to always provide the training. And a lot of times if your employer says, "I'm sorry, I can't pay for that training." Okay, well, if I go out and get that training on my own and you see the value, Will you consider rates? And if they say yes, and then they don't give it to you, then you just turn around and now you have a story to go tell a future employer. I paid for my ASC trainings on my own, studying on my own. My manager said that they were going to pay for it. They said they couldn't. That's why I'm coming here because I see you guys pay up to $2 an hour.
1: That's, and, and I look back to my own career path and what had the biggest impact on me were the mentors that I had, really the the people that I surrounded myself with and really the the books and other types of education that I had along the way. And, you know, you look in that specific example with a service advisor dealing with a customer, if they had read the book Crucial Conversations or something yeah. like that, where they they have some knowledge and maybe have done some role-playing based off of that. I, from what I recall in that book, there were some really good role-playing opportunities to, to play out situations. And even if you're that technician and you're aspiring to go, you know, maybe move into the office someday, being able to educate yourself and not relying on other people to educate you is such a powerful move on your part.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think you you hit on something that I think is extremely powerful, and that is the word mentor. I have three or four people from my career that I gut check how I'm doing, and I reach out to them and say, you know, hey, this is what I'm thinking. I just did this yesterday with, with one of my mentors. I walked through a situation and he said, well, do you want my advice? And I said, absolutely. He said, I'd handle it this way. So you should have that kind of a relationship with, with fellow technicians or a service writer, somebody that knows you really well because the world is small. You never know who knows somebody. And down the line, you end up may end up working with those people in the future. And we all know that good techs, no good techs. We all know that service people, service managers, writers, things like that. They know good technicians. I will tell you too, if you're a technician and you're currently working, if you are not taking advantage of your company's employee referral bonus program and talking to all your fellow colleagues, I have a gentleman um, that works for us in one of our locations who came up to me and thanked me for the employer referral bonus. I said, well, wait a minute, you've brought us three people. I should be thanking you. He said, yeah, but you helped me pay off debt. And it was debt that I incurred that now my family, we can we can be a little bit more comfortable. And to me, talk having those impact. mentors, having those colleagues, you can literally, you can take your group of friends and go where you work. And that's, you know, because we all, it's work. It's not fun, you know, if you will. But if you can make work fun by working with people that you like and that you respect and that you trust, makes life a lot easier.
1: Well, and, and the employer. Yeah, and talk about controlling the culture from the inside out right like if 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 you're surrounding yourself with your buddies and you know that they're going to bring good energy and it's going to be it's going to make your life easier by them being in in the same place that you are yeah i mean if if talk about a strong culture i mean that's as strong as it gets right like yeah. if, if you just have buddies working together in the shop like that's that's a different atmosphere
0: yeah absolutely because you know you can you know everybody's hot buttons you know you can mess around with them a little bit and then the reality is you can, you know, if they do something wrong, you can make fun of them a little bit, but at the same time too, it's, you know, it creating that culture, but also recognizing, you know, when a new person comes in, it's, they may not know as much as you and that some of your, your greatest friendships could be um, found by just informed just by starting to starting a conversation with, a, with somebody, because the first 90 days of an employment situation is when people typically leave and they leave sometimes because of the manager, sometimes other things, but usually in the first 30 days, it's because of how they were treated. And let's be honest, the HR guy talks to them on the first day and we talk to them a little bit, probably should talk to them a little bit more, but the reality of it is, is that if they don't like the people they're working with, they're going to say, I can take my skills elsewhere.
1: Right. This is, this is great, great stuff. Now, before we're done with the podcast, I do yeah. have to ask you, for those of you that are listening, won't be able to see this, but behind your right shoulder, you've got a pen. Wow. Uh, uh, breakdown. And is, I'm assuming, is that a list of values or is that, uh, what is that?
0: Yeah. So it's, it's 25 things that we try to, that when you think of pen, this is what you should think about. Now, the reality is that, you know, we probably need to refresh these. And it's one of the things that I came in and I looked at it and I said, you know, is this really who we are right now? Because personally, 25 is awesome. But I think, Three to four, and that's what we 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 try to we try to have people kind of look for one of these pen wows once a week. But a couple of them that that I think are important are embrace change and growth. So I think that that is that is correct. get clear on expectations, keep a positive attitude, and constantly, consistently, and constantly improve. So I think those are just a couple right there. That and and one other one actually is or two more: speak up, and then think safe. And work safety is what it's all about. We yeah. want to go home with all our fingers and toes. And I think it's important, you know, we can put out safety manuals and we can put out safety equipment. But if you don't use the safety equipment, it could, you know, unfortunately, you know, you, you have situations, especially if the folks are out on the road. Drivers are crazy. You're out helping somebody on the road, put out those trying, you know, do everything you need to do. Park the truck far enough away that so if somebody hits your truck, they aren't hitting you too. It's all it's all little things. But yeah, our culture is is one where we are constantly looking at what Defines us, and I think in the next you know year or so, you'll see us take that the the pen wow, and we may have changed that. And what I say is, under one of them is keep it simple. You know, we'll get down to a pen ten is kind of what I've been thinking about. You know, what what are the ten things that we stand for?
1: I love it. I I, I love it. I love your organization and everything that you guys are doing out there. Uh, we've got firsthand experience with you guys. It is a great, great company. And I, I thank you so much for coming on the podcast today because this was a really, really great conversation. Well, I'll probably have to have an extension of this. I think the advice to technicians that you had over the course of this was just brilliant. It was really, really good. So hope, uh, hope you'll join us again.
0: Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me.